0: what's out there right now keeping us moving forward keeping this community together so thank you for everyone who supported and everyone who's gonna support we appreciate it hey everyone just so you know there's some adult language in this episode so if you're listening with kiddos it might be a good idea to hit pause right about now thanks
1: I moved to Telluride, Colorado in October of 2007 after visiting from my very first ski experience that previous spring. It wasn't a town. It wasn't a mountain. To me, Telluride was a state of mind. It was a feeling and one I had never experienced before. I poured myself into skiing and became enamored with the ski bum lifestyle. That first season, I worked as a snowmaker, a lifty, a bouncer in a barback, and I delivered pizzas. The 2007-2008 winter was one of the deepest Telluride had ever seen. I spent every day outside learning how to ski powder and trying to keep up with my more talented friends. As the snow accumulated, so did my love for skiing and the town. My childhood was spent playing guns and roller hockey in the alley behind our house. I grew up on the edge of Chicago, very much a city kid. But it's not memories of the shed Aquarium and the Field Museum that rise up within me like a swelling tide. It's the tiny, seemingly insignificant moments outside with my family. The first time we went camping, swimming through seaweed in Door County, Wisconsin. The first fish I caught, which pooped on my dad's hand as he jimmied with the hook. Pancakes on a griddle over a campfire. Building forts in the thick woods of Michigan with my siblings. And the road trip west introduced me to the mountains when I was eight. When I graduated from college, I had no clue what to do with myself. I majored in English literature, which meant I was well-read and had a knack for writing. But... I mostly felt my college studies had prepared me to pull lines from history's greatest poets during toasts and wedding speeches. I had no concept of how I was going to translate that into a job, much less a career. I moved back home to live with my mom and dad and took a position as a teacher's assistant at a nearby elementary school. It was a good experience, but by midwinter, I knew I did not want to go into education I spent weekdays getting by at the school, and weekends partying like I was still in college. There wasn't anything necessarily wrong, but nothing was really happening for me. I was drifting, to say the least. But that changed during the fall. The plan had been to spend the winter in Colorado— and then move back to Chicago for a real-world job once I had figured out my life. But, as is so often true with Ski Bum origin stories, that plan was quickly dispatched. Six months turned into six years. I went from Greenhorn to Silverback, a grizzled, raccoon-eyed, real-deal Ski Bum. Every day on the mountain, and every night at the bar... Drinking and partying was as much a part of my life as skiing. That is until, of course, they became the only part. My entire life I was anchored to an ever-present unease that came out as stifling insecurity or a hey-look-at-me temperament. During college, partying and getting girls was a competition I tried to win every night. Booze and drugs satisfied my internal void, or at least the feeling they gave me did. In Telluride, that quest for more saw me pursue drinking and drugging to the edge of oblivion. Drugs and alcohol had been my medicine for years, but they stopped working. Or rather, the dosage and frequency of use did. So I sped things up more booze, more drugs, more often. But it didn't work. I was quickly being consumed. The winter of 2012-2013 was a dark blur of personal disintegration, shitting blood in the mornings, passing out on bar tops at night, vomiting off a chairlift on my way to work, passing out during my best friend's birthday dinner at the nicest restaurant in town, and sobbing as he helped me walk back to his house. I never once thought I had a problem. Alcoholism and addiction never crossed my mind. I thought that this was my life. After a late night of partying, I awoke with a whiskey hangover and a cocaine headache in the tiny, dim room I rented on the east end of town. Dirty clothes in their funk billowed out of the closet. A clean-ish pile lay next to me on my bed. Shameful beams of afternoon light harpooned through the curtains. The pressure between my eyes, the gut-rot stew churning inside me, the emptiness, the fear, the loneliness. I sat up, grabbed the baggie of cocaine from the pocket of my rumpled jeans on the floor, and stared at it in my palm. Fuck this. I'm fucking done. I ran into the bathroom, flipped the lid on the toilet, emptied the baggie, and flushed. Enough. That was it. I knew I had reached my limit. But a few hours later, I withdrew my rent money from an ATM on Main Street so I could score more cocaine. I went to the bathroom in a bar, snorted the only relief I understood, and drank myself into the numbing comfort of another blackout. In May of 2013, with the help of family and friends, I checked into a drug addiction and alcoholism recovery facility just outside of St. Paul, Minnesota. Two and a half weeks into the 30-day inpatient program, my parents attended the family weekend. During our first session together, at the prompting of the staff member I had been working with, I admitted to my mother and father the full extent of my addiction and my buried trauma. Around five years old, a neighbor sexually abused me. This event is neither the cause of, nor reason I am an addict and alcoholic, but in concealing it from the world, in choosing to carry the heavy burden of shame alone, I transformed the event into an invisible rudder, and it steered me further into those dark, deep, lonely waters. Booze and drugs were my life raft. After that morning session, my parents and I walked the dirt path in the woods that encircled the treatment center. The conversation swung from serious discussion to humor and back again, and we finished the walk at the deck in the back of the facility. My mother went inside to make herself a cup of tea. I looked at my dad and picked up a worn leather football that was lying in the grass. Want to have a catch? He agreed with a nod and a smile. I lived in Minnesota for a little over two years, learning how to live life sober, setting a firm foundation in recovery, and slowly returning to adventures outside. Three months in, I chopped wood with my father at our cabin in Wisconsin. At the end of that summer, I went up to the northern woods of Minnesota with some buddies, and I finally slept outside my tent again. I spent that winter revitalizing my skiing passion on 200-foot hills in the Midwest. In January, snow finally hit me in the face on a weekend trip to Mount Bohemia in the upper peninsula of Michigan, the Midwest powder skiing Mecca. I don't remember my first face shot ever, but I remember this one, the first of my new sober life. I returned to Telluride for a short visit in the middle of the summer of 2014, a little more than a year into recovery. I sat drinking coffee on Main Street, chatting with old friends, and staring at the jagged undulation of the mountains that cradled the town. Sitting on benches sipping lattes is not exactly a super-triumphant, extreme return to the San Juan Mountains. But it was powerful nonetheless. A baby step on my path to reclaim my sacred places and passions. I was able to break free from the memory of Telluride that lived in me as a strange mixture of glorification and shame. That next spring, I skied the San Juans again, and a new, powerful affair with the mountains truly began. Each trip back, I reclaimed a little more of what addiction and alcoholism stole from me. Since i found recovery, I've skied in Austria, Japan, Argentina, and all over the American West, in snow deeper than I am tall, and on mountains so beautiful I return to them in my dreams. I stood atop ridgelines and whiteouts while upslope wind ripped across my body so furiously I struggled to stay upright. I've rafted Class 5 whitewater and backflipped off 40-foot cliffs into muddy green rivers. I've camped under skies so peppered with stars. There was barely enough space for the black to fill in around the glinting pinpricks, But nothing compares to tossing that football with my father on the grass of the treatment center in Minnesota. We stood about 20 feet from one another. We didn't speak. Our grins folded crow's feet in the corners of our eyes as we zipped the football back and forth. After each attempt at the perfect spiral, we windmilled our arms to loosen up the stiffness of our right shoulders the dog-eared leather snapped into our hands with a satisfying sting it was sunny and temperate and nothing really significant happened yet in that moment perhaps for the first time ever things seemed like they were going to be okay an easy calm warmth filled my chest I felt hopeful and it's that sense of hope I return to so often Just five minutes on a lawn in Minnesota. Just a game of catch with my father. Just that. And everything else. I'm Patty O'Connell, and this is my short.
0: The Diaries would not be possible without the generous support of Patagonia. To some, the ocean is a fearsome place. To others, it's a limitless world of fun, freedom, and opportunity. This spring, Patagonia presents a new documentary called Fish People, a film about surfers, spearfishers, a long-distance swimmer, a former coal miner, a group of at-risk kids, and the transformative effects of time spent in the ocean. Visit patagonia.com slash fishpeople to find a screening near you. As always, support for the show comes from Kuat Racks, the little company who believe they could build a better bike rack. Check out their lineup of sleek, easy-to-use roof racks and hitch racks at kuatracks.com. And support also comes from our newest sponsor, Vossen Brewing, out of Richmond, Virginia. Vossum will start pouring pints of their signature ales this summer. Think American craft beer meets rustic Belgian flavor. Perfect for the end of a long day outside. Learn more at VossenBrewing.com. Support for the Dairies also comes from you. The Dirtbag Diaries turned 10 this year. To celebrate, without, we give everyone who donates a download to the Dirtbag Diaries theme song as a ringtone. So every time someone calls you, you can get psyched for your next adventure. To pledge your support and get stoked, visit DirtbagDiaries.com and click the button in the upper right-hand corner. Thank you, Patty, for sharing your story. Patty has made it back to the mountains of Colorado where he lives a happy, healthy lifestyle. You can find more of his work online and in print. He's a staff writer at The Adventure Journal, a contributing editor at Gear Junkie, and regularly contributes to Free Skier and Mountain Magazine. Music today from Bradley Carter, John Barry, Vienna Ditto, Cuero, Publish the Quest, and Jacob Bain. The tracks are courtesy of Free Music Archive, or with permission from the artists themselves. Jacob Bain and Nis Koto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was recorded with help from the good folks at KDNK Community Radio, scored and mixed by Jacob Bain and produced by Jen Altschul and Becca Cahal. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.